This morning we're starting a brand new series of messages that we're calling The Magnificent Seven. And we're going to be talking about the seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And there is a uniqueness in Scripture to the number seven. And all throughout Scripture, you'll see that, that the number seven pops up. Uh, in the book of Revelation, there's all kinds of sevens. There's seven bowls, there's seven trumpets, there's seven churches. Uh, in the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Uh, the number seven referring to a number of completion. And I love that in John's gospel, when Jesus decided to reveal who he was and explain his identity, he did so by giving seven I am statements about himself. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to study the magnificent seven, the seven I am statements of Jesus. And I'm praying that we can uh, learn much about who Jesus is. And when you understand who Jesus is, then you can understand who you really are. And so I'm looking forward to uh, diving into this study together. John chapter six is where we're going to be today. And if you're ready to dive in, would you say amen? Let's start reading in verse number 25. If you don't have a Bible, most of the verses will be on the screen today, and there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you need a Bible, we'd love to give that Bible to you today. Verse 25, the Bible says this, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto him, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that you believe. Everybody say believe. He says that you would believe on him whom he hath sent. And they said therefore unto him what sign showest thou then that we may see believe thee and and what dost thou work and our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat and jesus said unto them verily verily i say unto you moses gave you not that bread from heaven but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven for the bread of god is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world then they said unto him lord evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. For a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject, food for thought, food for thought. Let's have a word of prayer and we will dive in together this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in this place. God, we acknowledge that you deserve all the glory, that you deserve all the credit. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with us over the next several minutes as we look to your word. God, I pray that we would uh, be able to have a better understanding of this text and that your Holy Spirit would guide and illuminate the truth that we need today. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to apply these verses to our lives and that we would be able to leave differently because of it. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning, 
When I was in college, I spent some time in the Philippines, and I would go to different churches and travel to different uh, villages, and I had a great time, and I loved that experience. One thing that was a challenge for me while I was in the Philippines was some of the food uh, that they wanted me to eat while I was in the Philippines. And I'm not a super adventurous eater. How many of you would say that you are an adventurous eater? Like anything that's put in front of you, you can try it. And I'm not a super adventurous eater. And so this was a challenge for me when they would try to uh, get me to eat certain things. And there's a certain food in the Philippines. It's somewhat of a delicacy in the Philippines. It's known as balut. And how many of you are familiar with balut? Balut, if you're unfamiliar with it, is a chicken egg with a partially developed chicken still within the egg. And they wanted me to eat balut. Now, thankfully, I don't give in to food peer pressure. And so I was able, like Daniel in the Old Testament, to say, you know what? Uh, I will not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. And so I didn't give in. I didn't give in to that peer pressure of eating balut, but they really wanted me to. And uh, man, I was hungry on that trip because I didn't want to eat some of the food. And so I'd find myself kind of sneaking away and I would say, I need to go pray for a little bit. And I would go to my bag and I had some beef jerky over there and I was just eating the beef jerky on that trip. But I was so uh, hungry on that trip. I remember flying home to Los Angeles International Airport, and that's about a 14-hour flight. Uh, when I got home, my family picked me up, and we made a beeline to In-N-Out Burger. We just went straight to In-N-Out, and I'm convinced that there is no finer dining establishment when you are hungry than the In-N-Out Burger, specifically adjacent to Los Angeles International Airport. It is just the best. And I was so hungry, and I, I wanted to satisfy that physical hunger. You know, you know the truth is, all of us today, We know all about physical hunger, and uh, all of us today have had times when we've been hungry. Uh, All of us have had times probably when we've been a little hangry. Anybody ever get hangry when you're hungry, right? And uh, we know all about physical hunger, and the truth is we are very good at satisfying our physical hunger. God created us to have food, and uh, that's how he designed us, and hunger is that warning system that tells us that we're running low, and so we know how to uh, satisfy those physical hungers. Now, I believe that uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost and that we should be good stewards of our physical bodies. And so as much as I enjoy In-N-Out, uh, I know that I can't eat In-N-Out, unfortunately, every single day. That would not be beneficial or helpful for me. I believe that we should be good stewards of the bodies that uh, God has given us. And we know how to satisfy our physical hunger. Uh, we know how to make meal plans. Uh, we know how to check the ingredients. We know how to check the nutrition value in certain things that we eat. We know how to uh, shop for a bargain, clip uh, coupons. Anybody still clip coupons? Anybody do that? I remember my mom did that growing up. And, and uh, uh, we know how to uh, satisfy our f- physical hunger. Uh, we eat out. How many of you have ever looked at your expenses at the end of the month and thought, wow, we ate out way too much? Anybody been there? Dave Ramsey would be extremely disappointed if he knew how much uh, you ate out. We know how to satisfy our physical hunger. In fact, we put a lot of time, energy, and resources into satisfying, especially in Western culture, we put a lot of time, energy, and resources into satisfying our physical hunger. But tragically, we don't put the same value in being fed spiritually. And Jesus often would talk about food, and he would use food as an on-ramp to talk about greater things and spiritual things and things that really will matter in all of eternity. In fact, uh, Jesus said uh, that, well, they said about Jesus in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter number 7, verse number 34, the Son of Man, a title for Jesus, is come eating and drinking. 
And so Jesus would often use a meal to um, use that as, as an opportunity to talk about greater uh, things of spiritual value. In fact, uh, someone said that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either at a meal, coming from a meal, or going to a meal. Uh, that, that Jesus would use the table as an opportunity to talk about important things of the day. Uh, the Bible says this in John, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And so time and time again, Jesus taught that, uh, that that spiritual hunger is more important than even physical hunger. Now, we come to John chapter 6, and Jesus is in this conversation, and the conversation is all about food. Uh, the text that we just read, it's all about food, and Jesus is talking about this, but to really understand the context and the significance of this, I think we have to back up and see what had just taken place. Jesus just found out that his cousin and friend, John the baptizer, had just been martyred. He had just been killed. And so Jesus was in a season of mourning. This was a sad time for Jesus and his disciples. They were in a busy season of ministry, an exhausting season of ministry, and now even a heartbreaking season of ministry because of the news of John. And so what Jesus does is he gets with his disciples and he says, hey, let's get away and let's separate from the crowds for a little while so that we can have a time of rest. Uh, Jesus, operating uh, with great wisdom, understood the importance of having some margin and having some rest. And so they get away for this time of rest, but how many of you know that uh, the ministry and doing the work of the Lord is, is a unique thing because often the needs and trials of people don't fit neatly into our schedule. And so even though this was meant to be a time of rest, because the people started to continue to throng and, and gather around Jesus, that this time of rest turned into another opportunity for ministry. And so the crowds started to gather around Jesus, and they started to gather and gather, and so much so that the Bible tells us that the crowds were up, up to 20,000 people. And they were hungry, and uh, they wanted something to eat. And you know the story, what happened. There was a little lad, a little boy that came, and he had five loaves and two fishes, and he came, and he offered that uh, to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He miraculously multiplied that gift and fed 20,000 people with just that little bit of food. By the way, there's a great principle there, and that is when it comes to God's economy, whatever we give, God will grow. Whatever we release, God will replenish. And so whether it is your time, your talent, or your treasure, you give it to God and watch him grow it and multiply it for his glory. And so Jesus, he multiplies the loaves and the fish, and he feeds 20,000 people. And, and then he instructs the disciples. He says, okay, now we need to get away, and I want you to get on the boat. I want you to cross the Sea of Galilee and go to the city of Capernaum. So that's what they do. While they're crossing on the Sea of Galilee, there is a great storm that takes place. It's the same storm where Jesus walks on water out to meet them. And so this has been a busy 24 hours. Uh, Jesus had fed the 20,000 people. Uh, he had uh, walked on water. And then they get to Capernaum. And they finally thought that they escaped the crowds. One problem. The crowds had boats too. And so they got on a boat and they crossed the Sea of Galilee as well, searching and looking for Jesus. And that brings us up to speed to verse number 24. Everybody tracking with me today? So notice at verse 24. When the people saw, therefore, that Jesus was not there. So they're looking around. They're like, where'd Jesus go? Uh, we need to find him. Neither his disciples. They also took shipping. It's kind of a fun way of saying they got on boats. And they came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And so they're looking around. Where did Jesus go? 
and we can't find him anywhere. And so let's get on a boat and let's go across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum and let's go and find Jesus. And they're seeking after Jesus. They're longing after him. They, they, they wanted more information. They wanted to see what he was going to do next and what he was going to teach next. And so they're seeking after Jesus. And I thought about that and I thought, we're living in a generation and a culture of people that are desperately seeking after something in life. Uh, we are seeking after satisfaction. We're seeking after hope. We're seeking after purpose. Uh, we're seeking after uh, 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 what will satisfy the deep desires of our heart. And often, we're seeking in all the wrong places. I read that in 2018, uh, that the self-help market was an $11 billion market with books and podcasts and opportunities to become better versions of ourselves and, and to improve ourselves. Why? We're searching, we're trying to become better versions of ourselves so that we can be happy, so that we can be satisfied. And often we're searching in all the wrong places. And here, the crowd, they're seeking after and they're searching after Jesus. And they get there to Capernaum and they find Jesus. And this powerful conversation unfolds. And what I wanna do for a few minutes today is I want us to look to John chapter six, verses 25 through 35. And I want us to glean three questions that I believe all of us must answer today. Three questions. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. Question number one is this. What are you filling up on? What are you filling up on? Notice what our text says in verse number 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, when camest thou hither? And so, teacher, how'd you get over here? Teacher, we've been looking everywhere for you. How'd you get here? And they didn't see him get in the boat. And the reason they didn't see him getting in the boat is because Jesus is God and he chose to walk on water to the other side of the Sea of Galilee into the city of Capernaum. And so the crowd is thinking, Jesus, teacher, how'd you get over here? And uh, what just happened? We, we didn't see you get into a boat. Notice how Jesus responds in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. What was Jesus referencing? Well, uh, he had just fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. And so Jesus says, you're seeking me, but you're seeking me for the wrong reasons. You are only seeking after me because you want more loaves. You're, you're only seeking after me because you are physically hungry and you want to be filled once again. What, what was Jesus saying? You are hungering for the wrong bread. In other words, Jesus was saying, uh, you are thinking in terms of your stomach when you should be thinking in terms of your soul. You're hungering for the wrong bread. Uh, the other day, our family, we went to Cheesecake Factory, and uh, someone had given us a gift card, and so we went to Cheesecake Factory. And uh, how many of you know that Cheesecake Factory has great bread that they bring out to the table, right? It's, it's a gift from heaven. And uh, it's, not, it's not quite as good as Olive Garden breadsticks, but it's pretty close, okay? And so uh, they brought the bread out, and we were eating the bread, and I knew I shouldn't have been doing it. I knew that I was going to uh, fill up on the bread, and by the time the entree came, I was going to be too full, but, but I kept on doing it, I kept on doing it, and sure enough, by the time the, the main course came out, I was already full because I had fill, been filling up on that bread. And a lot of times, people go throughout their lives, and they're searching for satisfaction, they're searching for fulfillment, and they're filling up on the wrong bread. The Bible puts it this way, very specifically in Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 7, the fool soul, the fool soul loatheth or hates in honeycomb. Uh, the fool, so when, when you're hungry, you don't even desire the right things. You, you're already full. But then in contrast, it says, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. See, when you're already full, you don't even desire the good things. But to the hungry soul, everything is sweet. To the hungry soul, you'll fill up 
on just about anything. Can I encourage you today? When you are running on empty, be very careful how you get full. When you are empty relationally, be very careful who you go to to feel full. When you are running on empty financially, be very careful what you will compromise and sacrifice in order to feel full. When you are empty emotionally, be very careful about the content that you will consume in order to feel full. A lot of times we are filling up on the wrong bread. And Jesus said, yeah, you are searching after me, but you are seeking with the wrong motives. You are thinking about physical bread. You, you are thinking about things that will only matter here and now. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God, watch this, whose God is their belly. In other words, they are idolizing their own appetite. It's whatever I desire, whatever I'm hungering for, whatever I'm thirsting for in life, that's the only thing that matters, and therefore I'm idolizing my own appetite. I'm deifying my own desires, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. Have you noticed that we're living in a culture that we've lost our ability to blush? That we're no longer even ashamed about things that we once were ashamed about. Now we are proud of, of the sin that we are living in. And so, whose glory is in their shame? And watch this, who mind earthly things. And this is exactly what Jesus is telling the crowd that day. You are minding earthly things. Uh, you are missing out on what matters most in life because you are thinking only through the lens of what is physical. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's a commentator that I enjoy reading. His name is James Montgomery Boyce. And he said this, We have not come to a place in American Christianity where we are seeing the lamentable tendencies for people seeking the Lord based on personal need than just seeking God himself. In other words, we're living in a time where Christians are, even Christians, are seeking after God just because they are curious as to what they can get from God transactionally rather than just pursuing God. And so, yeah, this crowd was seeking after Jesus, but they were seeking after him because they wanted more physical bread. They just wanted to be fed physically. I wonder today, a question that we all should consider is, why are we seeking after Jesus? Why, why do you come to church? Why do you go to a small group? Is it because you simply want something transactionally from God, or is it because you want to know God? Well, why is it that we are seeking? So the question is not just what are we seeking. The question is why are we seeking? I remember growing up, uh, my dad is a pastor, and he would travel to different places and different countries and states, and, and uh, he would preach in, in different places, and he would always come back, and he would always bring back a gift, a little souvenir for our kids, uh, for his kids, for my brother and sisters. And uh, uh, he would just give us something small, and we would always be excited about that. And so that's something that I learned uh, from my dad. And so whenever I've gone on a trip, I always want to bring back something small uh, uh, for our children. And they will always be excited. I'll come home, and they'll say, you know, Dad's home. They'll come and give me a big hug, and they'll be excited. Uh, but I noticed something after I did that a few times that it kind of changed a little bit. And I would come home, and they would be excited. But instead of running to me, they would run to my bag, and they would say, what'd you get us? And so they no longer wanted to come and give me a hug. Uh, they just wanted to go straight to the bag. What did you get us? I wonder today, when it comes to the things of God, are you more interested in the gift or in the giver of the gifts? Why is it that you are seeking after the Lord? He says, you're seeking me, but you're seeking for the wrong reasons. Can I tell you that the deepest desires and hungers of our lives can only be satisfied in Jesus? When it comes to truth, if you're hungry uh, for the truth, what is real? What can I trust? Uh, Jesus is the way and the truth. 
into life. Uh, if you are hungering for love and acceptance, God is love, and we are already accepted in the beloved. If you are searching for uh, life and abundance, Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. Can I tell you today that only Jesus can satisfy your soul? And so you can stop looking to pornography. You can stop looking to alcohol. You can stop looking to some other relationship. You can stop looking to social media, and you can find satisfaction for your soul in the person of Jesus. Are we going to look just to temporary things that might satisfy us for a moment, but then quickly pass away? In fact, notice how Jesus brings up that point in verse number 27. Notice what he says. He says, labor not for the meat which perisheth. And so, in other words, Jesus says, why are you working so hard? Why are you laboring so hard for meat that's just going to perish? For, for food that's just going to um, uh, go away? And in fact, what Jesus is saying is, uh, no matter what you fill up on, you're always going to get hungry again. Have you noticed this? Even with physical food, uh, uh, no matter how great the meal is, no matter how expensive the meal is, at some point you're going to get hungry again. I was thinking this week about the most expensive meal that I've ever had. It was the night that Katie and I got engaged. And uh, we decided to go to a very fancy restaurant, a nice restaurant. And I knew that it would be expensive and I'd saved up for this moment. Uh, but I did not know how expensive it was until we got there. And I wasn't quite prepared for it. And uh, I remember they brought out the bill and I looked at that bill and I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if we can afford to get married now. This is not, this is not gonna work. And, uh, and uh, man, uh, it was a great night though. They brought out all kinds of food. And, and before I saw the bill, I was just living large. They came and said, do you want the seafood tower? And I was like, of course we want the seafood tower. Why would we not want that? And so they brought out so many things. And man, I was so full, I was stuffed. But by the way, how many of you know there's different levels of stuff? Sometimes there's like full and a comfortably full. Then there's like, overstuffed then there's like I'm in pain right now this doesn't feel good and uh, man I was so I was so stuffed but you want to know something the next day around lunchtime I was thinking where are we gonna get lunch why because no matter how good the meal is no matter how expensive the meal is at some point you will get hungry again no matter what you fill up on in life at some point you will get hungry again no matter what relationship no matter what dollar amount, no matter what opportunity excites you and makes you feel full, at some point you will get hungry again. And so Jesus says, why would you work so hard and labor so much towards something that's just gonna perish, something that's just gonna pass away uh, anyways? In fact, I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. We always want more. Notice how he concludes verse 27. So he says, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. In other words, you're thinking about things that will perish. You should think about some things that will never perish. Some things that are everlasting. Which the Son of Man, and again, that was a title for the Messiah that Jesus was referring to himself as. For the Son of Man shall give, everybody say give. Give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now, there's a wealth of knowledge in that verse, but I just want to point out one thing that I find reassuring and, and comforting, and that is when Jesus says, uh, for him hath God the Father sealed. In ancient culture in the first century, you would not authenticate a document by signing it. You would authenticate a document by putting a seal upon it. 
Because you could forge a signature, but it would be very difficult to forge a signet or a seal. And so a seal spoke of authenticity. And so Jesus says, you want to know why I have the authority to speak to eternal things? Because God the Father has placed his seal of authenticity upon me. What Jesus was saying is, I'm not just another teacher. I'm not just another prophet. I'm not just simply a miracle worker. I am God in the flesh. And therefore, I can speak to eternal things and everlasting things things. And so the first question that we all have to answer and consider this morning is what are we filling up on? What are the things that we look to in order to feel full in life? And that leads us to our second question today. If you're taking notes, here's the second question is this, what is the object of your faith? Everybody has faith in something. Uh, Even if someone is an atheist or agnostic, we all have faith in someone or in something. In fact, the Bible says this in in Psalm chapter 20, verse number 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And I love that verse. I think that's a great verse to remember during an election season. Because some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, some trust in politicians, some trust in the government, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Can I tell you that our hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we all have faith in something, but the question is, what is the object of your faith? Notice how this unfolds in our text, starting in verse number 28. If you're with me today, would you say amen? Amen. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God. What an interesting question. Jesus just told them, don't labor, don't work for physical things that will perish. And so their natural response was, okay, well then how can we work for eternal things? Well, how do we labor? How do we work for uh, the eternal salvation that you're talking about? How do we work for everlasting life? See, this was something that was just ingrained in Jewish culture and thought. This was how they were programmed. This was how they were hardwired. Uh, They had this works-based righteousness that they adhered to. And so they thought, even when it comes to eternal things like salvation, we've got to work. We've got to earn it. We've got to uh, somehow achieve a standard uh, by which we can measure our salvation. And so they asked the question, how can we work for it? Uh, The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, verse number one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That they are passionate about the works of the law, that they have an excitement and a zeal for carrying out uh, the letter of the law, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Can I tell you that that is religion in a nutshell? That there are people on a weekly basis and on a daily basis, going about trying to establish their own righteousness. What are they doing? They're doing the same thing that this question was asked in John chapter six. What do we have to do? What do we have to work? Give us the list of what we have to do to perform in order to receive eternal life. So they're going about trying to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so this is what salvation boils down to. Are you putting your faith in something that you do? Or are you putting your faith in something that Jesus already did for you? Notice how Jesus responds in verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God. You want to know what the work of God is? This is the work of God. That you believe on him whom he hath sent. 
Jesus is teaching something that we, we know and we, we, we study. And theologians like to call this doctrine the justification by faith. That we are declared righteous, that we are saved by faith. He says you have to believe. In fact, back in verse 27, he says eternal life, everlasting life is a gift. A gift is not something that you earn or achieve. A, a, a gift is something that you simply receive. See, if the question is, um, if the standard for salvation and getting to heaven is being good, okay, then we have a big problem. And a lot of religions will say that you have to measure up, that it's about your behavior, it's about what you do, it's about being good that gets you to heaven. Well, if we have to be good to get to heaven, then the question is, how good? We have to answer the question, how good? And who sets the standard for how good? Is it my standard? Because my standard might be right here. You gotta be this good. But Lauren Adargo, our kids director, she's very spiritual, and so her standard might be way up here. But Randy's standard, it might be way down here. He might say, you just gotta be right here, and if you get to right there, then you're good enough. Who gets to set the standard? Well, the obvious answer is, well, God sets the standard. Well, if God sets the standard, we are in big trouble. Because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. In fact, the Bible says, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament says that our righteousness, our good that we bring to the table is as filthy rags. There's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, for all fall short of the glory of God. No one will measure up to God's standard. That's why God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to go to the cross and to die in your place and to die in my place. And three days later, aren't you thankful he rose again from the dead? And this is why... We know it's not about our works of righteousness, like Titus 3, 5 says. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy that he saves us. And so this crowd that day was saying to Jesus, what do we have to do? What do we have to work to tell us how we can achieve eternal life? And Jesus says, believe. It's by faith. You've got to believe. Notice what it says now in verse number 30. It says this. They said, therefore, unto him. What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? And what does that work? They say, okay, you want us to believe in you. Now, we need some sort of, what sign are you going to show us? Now, they say that there's no such thing as a dumb question. But when I read verse number 30, I think, what a dumb question. <laughs> they say, Jesus, okay, you want us to believe. We're going to need some sort of sign to prove that you are God. I don't know, maybe like feeding 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes like you did yesterday. They said, we need to see some sort of sign. Uh, you need to prove it. They had just come from seeing Jesus multiply the loaves and the fishes. The disciples were probably still carrying around those 12 extra baskets. And Jesus says, I don't know, look over there. They said, we need some sort of, you know, I was thinking about this. How soon we forget the faithfulness of God. A lot of times we live with a perpetual dissatisfaction because we forget about how good God has been to us. And we're so longing for something that's gonna bring fulfillment and so longing for something that's gonna satisfy our soul. And our souls are constantly grumbling with that and growling with that spiritual hunger because we have not yet learned to remember and recall the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our lives. 
And so they have this short-term memory loss. They say, Jesus, uh, we're gonna need some sort of sign. In fact, they go on, they double down in verse number 31, and they say this, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. Now, manna in the desert was referring back to the exodus from Egypt with the children of Israel. Remember, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, if you remember that. And uh, uh, God miraculously provided manna for them to eat, and so they bring that up. And they say, as it is written, that means that they're gonna quote scripture. By the way, probably not a great idea to get into a scriptural debate with Jesus. I don't know. I'm just going to throw that out there. But, but now they're going to argue with Jesus. And they're going to say, you know, the Bible says Jesus as if he doesn't know. They say, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. All right. And so they say, you know, Moses, Moses was able to get manna. Moses, you know, that was pretty impressive. He was able to get manna. We, we need to see something like that. Now, he had just fed them 5,000 men plus women and children. But they said, you know, the manna was a little different because the manna was for 40 years, six days a week. And so if you're truly the Messiah, then we're going to need to see some sort of manna like, like that. In fact, the Jews were kind of fixated on this. There was a fable that they believed that the prophet Jeremiah, after the, after the destruction of the temple, hid a special pot of manna. And they believed that when the Messiah would come, that he would reestablish giving the people manna. And so they were saying, uh, if you are really who you say you are, we're going to need to see a miracle of manna on that level. Now, notice how Jesus responds to their question. Verse 32, and Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus, again, to understand this passage, you have to understand the distinction that Jesus is making between the physical bread and the true bread. So every time the crowd is speaking, they're thinking in terms of physical bread. And when Jesus is talking, he's thinking in terms of spiritual bread, the true bread or the bread of God that he refers to. Notice verse 33. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And so Jesus responds to their uh, question of bringing up that verse in Exodus uh, with a twofold response. First, he says, it wasn't Moses that gave you that bread. He says, it was, it was God that gave you that bread. It was God that provided that manna. And then he says, that was not the true bread of heaven. That was not the bread of God. That was simply a symbol that was pointing to the true bread. And and the truth and the reality that the crowd that day was missing was that true bread, that bread of God had already arrived. They, They were asking for something that had already arrived and it didn't arrive on their doorstep in the morning like the manna in the Old Testament. The true bread arrived at midnight in a manger in the city called Bethlehem, which non-coincidentally, the name Bethlehem means the house of bread. Isn't it awesome that the bread of life showed up in the house of bread and Jesus was saying, you are missing the point of the true bread of something that matters for all of eternity because you are caught up in what is physical and what is right in front of you. The true bread, the bread of God is already here. And so the questions that we have to consider today are, what are we filling up on? What's the object of our faith? Is it just what we can do? Is it what we we bring to the table and how we can perform? Or is it in what Jesus has done for us? And here's the third and final question we'll be done today. You got time for one more? Here's the last question, number three. Where do you find fulfillment? In your life, where do you find fulfillment? You say, well, we already asked the question, what are we filling up on? But there is a difference between feeling full and being fulfilled. I remember when I was, uh, this was several years ago, I was, I was doing a fast and I wasn't eating and I was coming to the end of that fast and the, the, the first day off the fast, I was at an airport. This was the first day that I could eat and so I was excited to be able to eat and I went and the only place that was open in the airport was this 
was this uh, breakfast burrito place. And so I went and got a breakfast burrito and I was so excited to eat, first time I'd eaten in days. And uh, that breakfast burrito was cold and flavorless and it was kind of stale, but I was so hungry and I just ate it anyways. And, and I was full, but I certainly wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't satisfied. Th- there's a big difference between feeling full and actually being fulfilled in life. In fact, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter six, verse number seven, all the labor of man is for his mouth and yet the appetite is not filled. That we work so hard and work so hard and we just never feel fulfilled. And so I want you to see how Jesus offers true fulfillment. And so if you walked into this room today or you're watching online today and you are interested in in being fulfilled truly, notice what Jesus says. Verse 34. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And so they still didn't understand. They still didn't understand what Jesus was communicating. And so they said, well, well give it to us. We, we want it. Verse 35. And Jesus said unto me, very plainly, he says, I am the bread of life. It's me. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The first of the seven magnificent statements that Jesus made about himself. Jesus, in his own words, he says, I am the bread of life. I am your fulfillment. And anyone that comes to me will never hunger and never thirst again. I am the bread of life. Now, as we study the seven I am statements, something that we need to know is that if we read it in English, we might miss the full significance. Because in the Greek language, there are two different ways that you can say I am. The first way that you can say I am is the word ego ego, I am. The second way that you can say I am is the word emi. Everybody say emi. Emi also is just another natural way of saying I am. But what's interesting is in John chapter 6 verse number 35, the Greek language reads this, ego, emi, the bread of life. And so if Jesus were to say ego, the bread of life, that would have made sense. I am the bread of life. If Jesus would have said, Emi, the bread of life, that would have made sense. I am the bread of life. But Jesus says, Ego, Emi, the bread of life. He says, I am, I am the bread of life. Now, Jesus didn't have a stutter. So why would he say, I am, I am the bread of life? And upon hearing that, the first century audience would have been shocked because they knew what he was referring to. Because the very first name that God ever gave and that God ever revealed for himself in scripture, there are many beautiful, wonderful names for God. But the first name that God ever gave was all the way back in Exodus chapter three, when Moses says, if I'm gonna go back and deliver the people, who should I say sent me? And God says to him, tell them, I am hath sent thee. In fact, notice it in Exodus chapter three, verse 13. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, what shall, uh, what shall say unto them? The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, what is his name? What's your name, God? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And so Jesus here in the New Testament says, I am I am the bread of life. Jesus was saying boldly and simply, I am God in the flesh. I am that I am. And I love that name for God because we spend so much time in our lives thinking about what we are not, where we fall short, but everything that we are not, he is. And he says, I am 
the bread of life. I am the all-sufficient one. I am the self-existent one. Hey, whatever you need in your life, I am that for you. And so he tells them, I am, I am the bread of life. And he is declaring his deity and who he is. He is where we find ultimate fulfillment in life. The Bible says this in Psalm 107, verse number nine, for he satisfied the longing soul and filled the hungry soul with goodness. And so maybe today you walked into this room and you are searching and you are hurting and you feel empty on the inside. And the message that I believe that God would have for you today from his word is that Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, that he is the bread of life and we can be fulfilled in him. Now, I wanna close with this. Bread only does you good if you internalize it. Thinking about food is not the same as eating food. Understanding the nutritional value in a certain food is not the same as eating food. You can even chew on food and spit it out. That's not the same as internalizing it. For bread to do you any good, you have to uh, eat it. You have to internalize it. And the same is true when it comes to the bread of life. Many people think about Jesus. Many people know about Jesus. Many people can rattle off some facts about Jesus. But the question is, have you received Jesus into your soul? Have you internalized him? Because maybe today you know some facts, you know some things about Jesus, but there's never been a time in your life when you invited him into your life, when you received him into your soul. And I believe that today can be the day of salvation for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Can I tell you today that Jesus is the only way for salvation. And anyone that calls upon his name, anyone that believes on his name, they will receive eternal life. And so if you've never done that, today can be the day of salvation for you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we conclude.